don't know if you've ever bumped into something and gotten a bruise that you feel like like hurts so badly you can taste it. Have you ever had that happen? Or stubbed your toe on something and you feel like, oh, that pain is just so real, you know? Um, sometimes you're moving around a dark room and, uh, you know, you, you kind of know where things are at in your own space, right? If, if, if you get up in the middle of the night in your home, you kind of know, I get up, I can reach for the door, I can open the door, and, you know, it's about five steps to the restroom or whatever the case, you know what I'm talking about? But if you're in a different space that's not your space, it's an entirely different feel. Uh, things that you anticipate being where they should be are not there, and then you kind of, it maybe takes like a stub toe to remember, I'm not in my home right now, right? It's a, just a different space. Uh, I remember uh, playing, you know, like capture the flag in really dark environments when I was a youth pastor with, uh, at, a, at a youth retreat or different things like that, you know? And there are times where you're pretty confident about the lay of the land. There was a camp we went to, and we were probably pretty, I knew the space pretty well, taking a number of youth groups there. And so I could move through a very dark environment uh, kind of fairly quickly, uh, unless that environment changes and you don't know it, right? So it's like this, when you're, when you're moving in that kind of an environment and you're pretty confident with the space, you, you move with confidence, right? Even you can't see anything, but you move with some confidence. But if if you don't know the space, you move with a different kind of tentativeness, right? And your arms are out like, okay, I know there's a, probably branches around here, so I'm kind of walking like this so I can catch them, right? The trouble comes when you're not moving tentatively and you're, and you're moving in that confidence, right? Almost running, which maybe some would say that's foolish in a dark environment. Maybe, maybe, some. But that doesn't stop somebody from playing a game from moving like that, right? And... Um, and so I've had that happen where you're, you're, you're confident about the space, but you're wrong. And you're moving quickly, and then whap, something is there to hit you in the face, or something's there to stub your toe on, or trip you, or anything like that. Uh, yeah, it can happen in a hotel room, it can happen outside, all that kind of stuff. You're walking in darkness, and you have to be careful. Darkness, the, the Bible uses the word darkness as a metaphor to describe wandering through life, looking for solutions, Maybe feeling your way around through something like deep grief or sadness, knowing pain, uh, knowing pain, knowing being lost and not knowing where to turn. But then if you take that idea of darkness and you think of darkness without hope, it's one thing to move around a dark environment when you just know, like, I'm not in the right space and I know there's a light switch around here. You know you can hit the switch and turn it on. But if you were in an environment that was pitch black, you know, have you ever gone in one of those caves, underground caves, and uh, they get everybody, they get all the kids together. Okay, parents, you got your kids, everybody together. Okay, now I'm going to turn off the lights. It's going to get really dark and you won't be able to see your hand in front of your face, right? And we think of that as an expression, but they're telling the truth. And so it's sort of like you're, you're holding everybody's hands, right? And so then they, okay, we're going to hit the lights. But then if that person was just like, I'm going to play a prank on these people and I'm just going to leave. It would be an entirely different sense of like hopelessness because, you know, places you can fall in those caves, not a safe environment. You see what I'm getting at? There's a difference between being in a dark, 
unsure environment and knowing where to find light versus the hopelessness and despair of being in a dark environment or living in darkness and not knowing where light is. And this is the picture we see in Isaiah. You might turn your Bibles there now to Isaiah chapter 7. We're going to look at 7 uh, through 9 or a portion of 7 and then spend our time in chapter 9 this morning. But adding to that darkness alone is bringing in a feeling of despair, which happens when you don't know where to find light, which is a metaphor for truth. Uh, redemption salvation and so this is the place we find the people of israel in isaiah's prophecy as the lord speaks to them through the prophet proverbs thirteen twelve says a hope deferred makes the heart sick but a desired a desire fulfilled is the tree of life and so as you're finding your place even i would just ask have you ever had that kind of a, a heart sickness you, you waited for someone, but they didn't show. Maybe you had a party and you had people that were invited and, and this one guest, you were really waiting, excited for them to come and maybe something happened, whether it's something with the call or car or, or, or something with a change of plans or maybe they texted you and the text didn't go through and, and you're there and other people are there, but you're waiting for this one guest and you're kind of looking and you're kind of waiting and then your, your heart turns to a point where you go, they're not coming. And there's just a sadness, a legitimate, real sadness. You planned an event and, and, and that individual didn't show up. Maybe you invested in a relationship and you put your heart out there. I mean, it could be a romantic relationship. It could be a relationship that happens in, in church. It could be ha a relationship with, uh, with uh, you know, neighbors. It could be anybody. You invested in a relationship. But from your perspective, they weren't faithful to what you were bought into in the relationship. They weren't faithful to what you thought you were both investing in, right? They said they'd never do it again, but they did it again. And so you go from resistant, slow trust to a sense of despair where you feel like, I, I just can't trust people. People let me down. Or the church lets me down, which is people. Or romantic relationships let me down. Or work relationships let me down. The job offer was there. They kind of held the carrot out in front of it. Well, if you'll just do this or if you'll just do this, you know, at the right time, we'll, we'll promote you. And then you did it and you checked all the boxes and you kept working after it. The promotion never came. Or maybe the promotion came, but the raise that was promised with it didn't come for one reason or another. Or another. Maybe you worked extra hard intentionally to say, you know what? I'm not going to be distraught. I'm not going to fall into despair. I'm going to hold out extra hope because I know that these things are temporary. You're working hard to have a biblical perspective even and say, I, I want to hold out hope. I don't want to live in despair. And you do. And then you still find yourself disappointed. These are situations we find ourselves in. And we, we find that when we're betrayed by others more than once, and even if we're honest, maybe that's 
Maybe that's you not showing up to do, to do the things you need to do to live the way that you think God wants you to do. And, and you start to say, you know what? I, I don't even know if I can do it. I don't even know if I trust myself. When, when we come into this Christmas season, uh, there, there's a sense of expectation. There's a, there's a joy that permeates conversations. There's, a, there's just a, a joy and a happiness in, a, in the positive sense of the word that uh, we find in things like getting together with family and friends. And, and it seems like in Christmas time, we're, we're willing to kind of just set all the other stuff kind of in the background. And let's just come together because this is a time where we're supposed to be filled with joy and we're supposed to be filled with great expectation and anticipation and so even though in your soul you feel like there's still a a longing uh an emptiness i don't mean an uh, an eternal emptiness necessarily although that may be true for some but i I don't mean it in that sense right now but you say you know what i'm just gonna i'm gonna take what little glimpses of happiness i can right now right And so we take these small bursts of happiness and they come maybe through gifts. They come through giving gifts. They come through seeing family. E.B. White said, uh, to perceive Christmas through its wrapping becomes more difficult with every year. In other words, when we place our, our happiness or when we place our joy in anything other than in the redeeming and enduring love and faithfulness of God through Jesus Christ. We will find ourselves disappointed. Now, if you're a cynic in the room, uh, I'm sorry, you heard me just say realist, I know. If you tend to be cynical, you're like, oh, no, no, I'm not cynical. I'm just a realist, right? That's another conversation. But, no, I'm just kidding. I'm an optimist. Optimists think we're realists and you, you know, yeah. So um, if, you, if you tend to be sort of cynical about those things, you can say, well, I'm just not going to enjoy anything. Or I'm not going to, you know, I mean, I know I'm exaggerating, but I'm not going to put any trust in anything. And sometimes that includes the Lord, too. So we have to be careful to look at it from both sides of the coin. But when we persistently place our hope in the wrong things, the wrong people, it leads us to this place of deep darkness. Because we know that monetary gifts or um, circumstances, even people, will never satisfy our deepest longings that can only be satisfied in an active and growing relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Right? If you think about the people of Israel... Israel, God's chosen chosen nation in the Old Testament, trusted in other kings. They trusted in other gods. They trusted in their own unfaithful leaders. They trusted themselves. And they found themselves, Judah in particular today, you'll hear me say say Israel, but Judah in particular today, found themselves about 725 years before Christ. And as we read this prophecy in Isaiah... Uh, It's a few years before where we kind of land in chapter 9. But we read of the Lord's dealings with King Ahaz and King Rezin of Aram and King Pekah or Pekah of Israel. They joined together to attack Israel. So the Lord gives Isaiah this uh, counsel to give to Ahaz. And he says, 
be careful. This is Isaiah 7, 4. And he says, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart faint or be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin in Syria and the son of Remaliah. Don't, don't let your heart be faint. The fact that God calls them smoldering stumps is encouraging. Except sometimes the most dangerous place to be is in a battle with someone who feels like they've got nothing left and they're about to be gone, wiped out. They're about to lose. And so they give it one last burst of anger and fighting. To Judah, this, this feels sort of like uh, a, a, this is intended to be a comfort from the Lord, but to God's people, to Judah, this is sort of like comforting your children before bedtime and saying something to the effect of, okay, honey, I know it's dark and I know it looks like there are monsters in the closet. And um, I mean, they're huge. I mean, they're big monsters. Sorry, parents. Sorry, not sorry, because I'm gonna keep going. And under your bed, there's even more monsters that you don't even know about because you're just like thinking about the ones in the closet. But everything's going to be okay. They won't eat you. I mean, they're going to try to eat you and it's going to hurt and it's going to be really terrible. But they won't actually be able to eat you. Their, their sharp fangs won't actually get a hold of you. I won't let them kill you. We don't say any of that. Well, because it's fake to begin with. But what do we say? No, we come to them and we say, it's going to be okay. It's only pretend and there's nothing there. Look. Let me open the closet. And then what do you do if it's dark in the room if you can? Let me turn on the light and show you. There's nothing to fear. But to read these prophecies as Judah, this shrinking nation of God's people, when God says, these smoldering stumps are plotting together to come after you. Reads as a very fearful sort of tale. Uh, not tale, but prophecy of what's about to come. And it was about to come. A different situation, but we read of something kind of similar in, in the minor prophet of Habakkuk. You know, the Lord says, I'm going to discipline you, nation, my people, I'm going to discipline you with the people that are more ungodly. And Habakkuk is sort of like, well, Lord, I know we really deserve your discipline. This is Matt's hugely paraphrased version, by the way. I know we deserve your discipline, and that's fine. But from them? Like, really? Why them? Like, I don't want... Uh, you ever been in a situation where you're like, it's okay, I'm okay to be wrong? That's okay. I know I'm not right all the time. But do they really have to be right? You know what I'm talking about? I, I'm okay to acknowledge I'm wrong. It's good, humble pie. Everybody needs it. But like, can't I just be right in this conversation to that person? Right? We all wrestle with that. And so the Lord is saying it's coming. There's going to be difficulty. But I will see you through. 
They will not overtake you. They will not overcome you. And they will not win. I am God and I will win. But this is going to be a difficult season. Right? So I hope you see that parallel with the illustration of the monsters and how this is how Israel might have received this in that sense. And so Isaiah goes on to show this conversation happening, happening between Judah's enemies. And but the Lord says that none of it will stand. Right. He says it's real and they're coming after you. But ultimately, it's not going to stand. Verse 10 of chapter uh, 7, 10 through 13. And the Lord spoke to Ahaz saying, ask a sign of the Lord, your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. This is what um, what was read for us last week at uh, uh, for our Advent reading. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, listen, when God says do this. Don't try to set your up self, set yourself up as, oh, no, Lord, I can't do what you're telling me right now. I'm holier than that. No, no, no. God says, do this. We say, okay, I'll do this. Ahaz says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? The wearying of God was not because he asked for something too great. The Lord said, ask for something great, as high as the heavens. Ask big. He said, oh, no, I can't. Far be it from me to do that. And the Lord says, oh, you're putting me to the test, but not because you're asking for too much, but because your faith is too small or misplaced altogether. And I just want to pause before we continue and ask, if your faith, even as a child of God, even as a believer, you say, no, my faith is in the Lord Jesus. Praise God and amen. But even as God's people, we can still fall prey to temptation of putting our faith, maybe not faith for salvation, but faith for how, how the Lord wants us to walk through this life of darkness. We can put our faith in other things. We can put our faith in people, in the wrong kind of way, right? I trust my wife, and, and my wife trusts me. But our ultimate trust is in the Lord. That whatever happens in our relationship and in our family, we know is under the good, sovereign, uh, uh, providential hand of the Lord. But what are the areas where you're tempted to place your faith? Even in coming into this season of Christmas, leading into Christmas in the next two weeks, right? We, we can put our, our hope, oh, I hope I get this gift, or I really hope I get that. Kids, this is big for you guys, because you might be thinking, oh, I really want this for a gift. I really want this for a present. But adults, we do the same thing. I really hope that this year, my husband or wife will turn a corner in this area of their life. We put a lot of hope in that at times. So to be clear, this is not a license to ask for or to demand a sign from the Lord. It's important to recognize in history, the Lord told Ahaz, ask for a sign. The Lord has not told you and me in every situation, ask for a sign. So there's a historical difference between what's going on there and what happens in our life. We just need to be careful not to interpret or not to not to transport the command and promise that was given to Ahaz into our own lives, right? That's where a problem of kind of like this name it and claim it theology can come from, right? And, and, and we borrow that from other passages of scripture that 
that are not to us. And so we need to see the difference between what's happening there and, and what's happening here. The key is the Lord tells Ahaz, ask for a sign. And Ahaz refuses to believe in the Lord. And so he doesn't honor the Lord in this situation. He doesn't walk in faith. Here, his fear is looming largely. The monster in the closet in his heart was saying, show God you can handle it. Show God you're holier than what he's asking you to do. Show God that you've got, oh no, Lord, I don't want to weary you. And the Lord says, too late. You have. He's afraid of God in all the wrong ways. And they've tried the Lord's patience again and again and again. There's been no perfect king. It's not Ahaz. There's been no perfect king since, save one. All human kings, they've failed men, they've failed God. He says, ask a sign of the Lord your God. That's a plural version. It's like saying y'all. Except that's a weird way to say y'all. Ask a sign of the Lord y'all's God. <laughs> Not that Southern. Well, it probably is actually. But ask of a sign of the Lord your God, for God the God of your people. Not just you, hey, as I'm the God of you as a people. And so the Lord, even in the midst of Ahaz's and Judah's unfaithfulness, the Lord shows his faithfulness. The Lord takes up his faithfulness again, and he says, okay, I will give you a sign. It's one of the most common Christmas passages we read. It's quoted in Matthew 123, but it comes right here from Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, it's another way of saying, look, the virgin will conceive, and she will bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. And he goes on to say that Emmanuel, or God with us, will eat curds and honey, verse 15 of 7. Why? Well, that's what poor people in a desolate land eat, curds and honey. And that's what Judah will experience now for the next 400 years. And so just as the Lord promised, three years later, um, after what we read of in, in Isaiah 7, Judah's attacked, they're overrun, and they're crushed in a humiliating defeat. Their loved ones were brutally killed. Families were broken up and destroyed. The land is devastated. There's economic catastrophe, uh, which would run rampant. The once proud nation would be a nation that is brought to its knees in shame and humiliation and judgment. Now, that's the backdrop for what we come to in Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. Let's read together. But there will be no gloom for who, her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell those who dwelt in the land of deep, deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You've multiplied the nation and you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy of the har at the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. You have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in, in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. 
Here's the climax. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth, and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This prophecy, in a time of deep darkness and despair, meets God's people, meets Israel where they are. In a season of darkness, but pointing forward to freedom, eternal and lasting freedom that Jesus will inaugurate. In other words, God is saying, it's dark now. I understand it's dark now. I understand that you see monsters of nations around you. And I understand that they're coming after you and they're devising wicked schemes against you. I know that you see and you hear about the monsters in the closet. But let me turn on the light and show you that though they're real, they will not overtake you. Because I stand between them and you. I, your Lord, will deliver you. The brightest light of Christ shines most brightly in our seasons of deepest darkness. The brightest light of Christ shines most deeply in our seasons of deepest darkness, but we must set our eyes on him. We need to come back to the the basic truths of diving deeply into the scriptures to remind ourselves, to to preach to our souls, to, to fill our tank, if you will, with the fuel of God's word, where the Holy Spirit will meet us when we're with him in the word and set a flame in our hearts, deep love for Christ again. If you're not in the word, I've had seasons and times where I've not been in the word well. Oh, but you're a pastor. And yet, it happens. I like to soften the blow and say, oh, it, you know, busyness and schedule and responsibility, blah, 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 blah. I choose at times not to engage with Christ in his word. And I feel it. I feel it. My wife can see it. I'm not fellowshipping with God in his word and in prayer and, in, and letting the Holy Spirit turn over the soil of my heart in his word. And I feel it. I know it when I'm not with the Lord. And that's actually a good thing because it's not a good place when we feel like we can live and we can feel like we're living as great Christians and we're not in the word at all. We we don't want to live off of yesterday's bread, right? We liken it to the Lord giving the Israelites manna for the day. Today, I'm going to give you enough for what you need. Don't take more than you need. Just take what I give you. And then tomorrow I'll provide what you need. That's our time with the Lord. Day in and day out. So the, 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 the timeless truth here, or the enduring truth, which means it's true for them, it's true for us, is that, um, is that belief in the Lord, belief in his ways and in his promises is the only way to light your path or to light your approach to life, however great the crisis is. However great the, 
the fear, however great the uncertainty, however great the despair, you must light it with the wisdom of God's word. He says here, essentially, to, to kind of move through this past passage, how we see brightest light in deepest darkness. Gloom, verse 1, would turn into rejoicing. Verse 3, chapter 9, verse 3. Distress, verse 1, would turn to joy. Verse 3. Oppression turns to a broken yoke. Darkness turns to light. And a shadow of death would be overcome. And God's people will enjoy new prosperity. They will be like a celebration of a new harvest after a hard summer, like the celebration of victory after a hard-fought battle. But where are they and where are we in this, what we call redemptive history or the, or the grand narrative or the meta-narrative, the large overarching story of what God is doing in the Bible? You may remember in Genesis 3.15, where we kind of see the beginning of a lot of this begin to unfold. Adam and Eve, right? They ate of the fruit. The Lord the Lord cursed the serpent, but he disciplined Adam and Eve. He cursed the serpent, he cursed the ground, but he disciplined Adam and Eve. There's a big difference there, friends. And so Genesis, Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity, strife, fighting between you and the woman, talking to Satan, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. Jesus is the fulfillment of that seed who will bruise his head. And so we're beginning to see another picture of the fulfillment of what the Lord set in motion or what the Lord showed us that he had set in motion in Genesis, right? We find ourselves in the center of God's great story of the ages. Now, here's a challenge. As we think about Christmas coming, and this is good. And we say things like, which is true. God gave his son for us. This is true. I don't want to minimize this in any way. But it's important to understand that God gave his son for us to accomplish his purposes. Help your kids, help your grandkids go that extra step of understanding that this is not ultimately about us. This isn't our story. God doesn't find himself in our story working out a plan. We find ourselves in God's story working out the plan that he fashioned from before the ages began. And we are in his story. And yes, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his only given son, that whoever would believe in him would, have, would not perish but have everlasting life celebrate this, shout this message to your children, whisper it softly day in and day out. But the so that is so that God would be glorified in everything. It doesn't terminate, it doesn't end with you and me getting saved. It ends with us coming into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and then living to the praise of the glory of his grace. We celebrated uh, Irma Neve's life yesterday, funeral service that was a true celebration of life. It was a, a wonderful day. It was a hard day, but a wonderful day of remembering a woman who, who fought for God's people as she kept in mind God's kingdom perspective in all things. 
She fought for her family, not just to have her family united together, but because she wants her family to see the glorious grace of Jesus Christ over and over again. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Parents, remind your children that a son was given. He was born, but he wasn't created. He, he is given to us. God putting on a human outfit. God with a belly button. With flesh. Not made then. Because he's existed from eternity past. But he came to us in flesh with the body. He came humanly to meet us where we are to accomplish his eternal plan. Right? Jesus will be born. Remember, we're, we're 700 years before Jesus is born. And so this is the prophecy of what is to come. He will be born, given unto us. He's not created, eternally preexistent. Uh, Hebrews 2.14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook, Right. So now remember, I keep saying where we're at in the story. So God, 700 years before Jesus came. He's prof, Isaiah is prophesying what is to come. The writer of Hebrews is looking back and he says he partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has uh, who has the power of death. That is the devil. Jesus came in human form to accomplish his eternal plan. Second, Jesus came as deity. Jesus came as God to accomplish what we could not. So Jesus both came to accomplish his eternal plan by doing what you and I could never do. There was never a king that was the righteous king, that was the perfect king, save Jesus Christ. There was never a king that didn't fail his people in one way or another. There was never, never a king who didn't do something like Ahaz when the Lord said, ask a sign, I'll give it to you. Oh, no. No, I, I can't. The Lord's like, I'm telling you to. And your unwillingness is a lack of your own faith. That's what wearies me. That's what worries me, that you don't walk in the ways that I'm telling you to walk in. James Merritt says, in the person of deity, Jesus came wrapped in the package of humanity. He bore our sin and he was acquainted with all our griefs. Have you ever had the temptation to talk with somebody about something and you think, yeah, I don't know if I can talk to that person because they haven't gone through what I've gone through. Right. First, let me just kind of strike a, a line through that line of thought because somebody does not have to go through what you've gone through in order to give you solid biblical wisdom and counsel. Some of the greatest counsel that we have on marriage is from the Apostle Paul. A bachelor, most would think. Now, is there value to that at times? Sure, I understand that. But let's not set up a a standard that God has not given to us in his word. Well, you have to have gone through this to really understand. Well, maybe to really understand. But I don't have to have gone through it in order to tell you what God says and walk with you patiently through it. 
What it might mean is that as a human one, I'll, I'll misstep along the way. Yeah. I'll do my best, but I may misstep as we go. But we'll keep looking to the word. And when I misstep, I'll try to just acknowledge it. If I sin against you, I'll, I'll repent and I'll do my best to come and make that right to you. Danny Aiken points out Jesus has more than 250 names and titles between Genesis and Revelation. And Isaiah brings four of them together in this really, really tight, concise package that appears nowhere else in the Bible in a package like this, right? More names of Messiah are crowded together here than anywhere else in Holy Scripture. And so taken together, they encapsulate the totality of the person and the work of Jesus, who, is, uh, who he is and what he does. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. Wonderful emphasizes his deity. Counselor emphasizes his humanity and wisdom as the one who speaks truth with greatest love. The mighty king, mighty emphasizes his deity. Uh, I'm sorry, ever, uh, yeah, mighty, mighty king, mighty God. Uh, God emphasizes his, his deity. Everlasting em- emphasizes his deity. Father emphasizes his humanity. The prince of peace, prince his humanity and peace, the one who brings peace, the one who owns peace, emphasizes his deity. So when you couple that with a child born and a son given, the result is nothing less than the God-man, Emmanuel, who will come to you, God with us. Parents, dig deeply to help your your kids understand this is not about December 25th. This is about every moment of every day. Jesus, our wise, wonderful counselor, he brings truth. Truest truth, if you will. Sometimes we talk about, uh, I'm going to get off into a tangent that we don't have time for. Truest truth, they're the only truth to any and every circumstance to give us wisdom, to give us direction, to give us light in darkness. Now, I just want to ask everyone in this room, do you have a season in your life Uh, Let me ask it in a different way. Can you say that you don't remember a time when you walked through a season of darkness? Most of us would probably say no. I mean, again, darkness is a metaphor for difficulty, confusion, pain, heartache. The message is not that godly people don't walk through darkness. The message is not that godly people don't walk through darkness. Something like depression. That's not the message. The message is that in the midst of it, we look to Jesus, who is the light, who, 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 who makes all darkness disappear. Not with magical solutions, but with enduring hope, with great confidence that, that endures through all of the circumstances, not removing us from the circumstances. But we look to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him, Looking at the cross with the joy set before him, beyond the cross. We're going to walk through the dark rooms. We're going to walk through the dark cavern. We're going to walk through what feels like a dark abyss. What we need to know is that Jesus, who is the light of the world, brings light into darkness and makes the darkness flee. He helps us to endure. He enables us to endure through it, the mighty God brings the, this picture of the strength of heavenly warfare, which we see in Ephesians 6. We, we are fighting a spiritual battle, friends. Let's not try to win with, with human wisdom, 
with human schemes. No, let's win with the, the truth of the word of God. Everlasting father, greater than any other, any earthly father imaginable. Our challenge is when we try to compare God as father to our earthly fathers. And I don't care how wonderful your earthly father is. He's not perfect as God. And so while there's a connection, while there's an analogy, no earthly father will set the right bar for you. And I'll say fathers, mothers to the same point, help your kids learn that young. I remember when my kids were younger, I don't think I've actually said this to them in a while. Uh, but I remember at points saying something to the effect of, son, there are going to be times I'm going to disappoint you. I'm going to let you down. And I remember Braden when he was younger, he would just kind of look at me like that, like, what? That seems like an odd thing to say. I'm going to let you down. I'm not going to do it on purpose. And I might not even know when I do it. But I will let you down. But your heavenly father will never let you down. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will always be there for you. And so look to him. I'll do my best as your dad to look to him too. Parents, help you. You'll be, you'll be, they'll be further ahead looking to Jesus in that way. Seeing you for the human that you are. The Prince of Peace sung about by the angels in, in Luke 2.14. Right? He bring peace on earth, but not peace as we know it or as we think of it, but peace that rules and reigns in the heart of man, in the heart of God's people as they confess him as Lord and Savior. And one day, yes, as he creates a new heaven and earth, we'll bring peace. Jesus came to meet us where we are and to accomplish what we could. And that doesn't mean he came only to meet us, but he came that we might be found to be in him and to lead to paths where we can carry his light to others. Think of this gospel story. We think, okay, where are we in this meta-narrative or this grand theme of scripture? Genesis 3.15, Jesus is the seed of Eve. Genesis 12.13, Jesus is the offspring of Abraham. Genesis 49, he is the tribe of Judah. In Numbers 24.17, he is the star that came out of Jacob. In Deuteronomy 18.15, he's the prophet greater than Moses. In 2 Samuel 17, he's the, high, he's the son of David who will reign forever. In Psalm 2, he's He's the Lord's anointed one, which means the word for Messiah. In Psalm 22, uh, I'm sorry, that was Psalm 2. In Psalm 22, he's the righteous one who suffers. In Psalm 110, he's the king priest who comes in the order of Melchizedek. In Isaiah 7:14, which we just read, he is Emmanuel, God with us, consumed, I'm sorry, conceived by the virgin, uh, by the Holy Spirit. And here in Isaiah 9, he is brightest light from deepest darkness. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace who is sent to establish and uphold God's eternal kingdom. In Isaiah 53, he is the suffering servant of the Lord. In Daniel 7, 13 and 14, he is the coming son of man. In Micah 5, 2, Jesus is the babe who is born in Bethlehem. And Paul speaks to Christians. And he says, carry this message. Rather, you carry this message in jars of clay. Pots easily broken. Earthen vessels who in our earthly lives are vessels to be used by God so that in any and every circumstance when, we, when we're cracked, 
And the light that's inside us shines through those cracks. We help other people to see that our hope is not in the circumstances that bring these cracks or that feel like they're going to make us break. Our hope is in the one who is inside of us. The light shining through these deepest, darkest circumstances and situations. John Piper, he's talking about Jonathan Edwards' life. And um, he says, God's purpose for Jonathan Edwards' life was that he would have a passion for God's glory and a passion for Edwards' joy, that in that glory and these two things are one passion. I didn't actually say that clearly. God, I'm just, just going to read it. God's purpose for Jonathan Edwards for his life is that he would have a passion for God's glory and that he would have a passion for my or Edwards's joy in that glory. And these are one passion. In other words, I want to be passionate in my life that God would be glorified in everything and that my joy is found in exalting in his glory. In other words, I don't want to make a name for myself. We had the privilege of talking about a legacy from Irma and Don Neve. And we had, I don't know if it was like 65 people on the stage singing Jesus Loves Me yesterday. And we were talking about a legacy of faith. And yesterday we remembered Irma well. But Irma didn't do it because she sought to make a name for herself. Irma and Don sought to live the way they lived so that generation after generation after generation after generation would glorify the one true God. I don't care if my name is remembered. I care that my life makes some impact for the cause of Christ to as many people as I'm able. What I want to ask you as we close is today in your struggles, last week, this year, have you found yourself to be looking for temporary lights? You know, like a light that we use to light these candles. I mean, you can hold that thing and it looks like it's going to burn forever, but eventually the butane is going to run out. You ever have a flashlight and the batteries are just not connecting well, right? And you're, you're just like trying to get the flashlight to work and it's like you tap it and then it works and then it, something shifts and it goes out. And it's like, oh, it's like, this is not the light that we walk with, friends. We walk with the brightest, most enduring, most eternal light ever known to mankind in our Lord and Savior Jesus and in the wisdom of God. You have nothing to fear. You have nothing to worry about. You have everything that you need in the light of God's word to navigate the trials that are before you. My question is, at what points do you find yourself looking to temporary wisdom? Or wisdom that's no wisdom at all? Or, or people that will not ever be the ones to be perfect for you, to show up every time, all the time, perfectly? What do you look to? Would you take time as we get ready to share the Lord's Supper to acknowledge to the Lord, Lord, I think I know some areas where I'm looking, trusting things that are not you. I confess that. 
and I repent. I mean, if you're there, just saying the words doesn't do anything. But if you're really there, 1 John 1, 9 says that when we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. Do you know that verse doesn't say, if you confess your sins one to another, well, it does say that part. If you confess your sins one to another and then you get your act together, God is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Getting your act together is not in the verse. In fact, getting your act together is saying, I confess. I repent. That's worship. So let's worship as we come to the table and as we worship and singing our concluding song this morning. Let's worship the Lord through repentance and through acknowledging to the Lord, Lord, I need to confess where I'm not trusting in you. If you'd rather not think about this right now, you need to think about it. And if you don't know where to start, Psalm 139, it's a wonderful prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting.